Section 14 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7. Lorenzo de' Medici, Galeazzo Maria Sforza, Part 1. After the death of Piero de' Medici in 1469, Lorenzo succeeded practically to the government of the state. He felt the great burden which lay upon him and made use of the counsel of Soderini and others. Giuliano was of a quiet disposition and fond of pleasure, so that the chief burden of government fell upon Lorenzo. The government of Florence was arranged in the following manner. There was a council of a hundred, which elected officers called accopiatori, who in their turn chose the gonfolonieri. As Lorenzo was not satisfied with this arrangement, he drew the bonds of power still tighter, and on July 3, 1470, secured the election of new accopiatore, who united to the previous body formed a council of forty, which elected the great council of two hundred. By this measure, which was carried when Agnolo della Stufa was gonfolonieri of justice, the lordship of Lorenzo began to assume a legal aspect. At the same time, the Concilio del Comune and the Concilio del Popolo were abolished. The office of Capitano del Popolo was also done away with, and the position of the Podesta became far less important than before. With respect to external relations, Lorenzo saw that no reliance was to be placed on the Venetians or on the Pope. The Venetians were, as we have seen, being hard-pressed by the Turks, and were anxious to increase their possessions on the terra firma of Italy in proportion as they lost them in the east. The popes were generally old and capricious men, and a sudden and unexpected death might at any moment change the policy of the papal curia. Therefore the surest alliances of Florence lay with Milan in the north and Naples in the south. The Medici were the great bankers of Italy, as they were its richest inhabitants. Not only were they the depositories of wealth, which made it the interest of many Italian princes that they should not become insolvent, but they were the resource to which the hard-pressed and impecunious naturally turned in time of need. The archives of the Medici doubtless contained many begging letters, in which the suitors were among the most powerful potentates in the world. John Galeazzo Sforza consolidated the Florentine alliance by a visit to their city in the autumn of 1471. He was accompanied by the principal personages of Milan and by Bona of Savoy, his wife. Historians describe with minuteness the number and splendor of his retinue and of that of his consort, the knights, the pages, the led horses, the very kitchen knaves dressed in gold and silver. This exhibition of royal splendor is not without significance. The center of it was the son of a condottiere leader, the grandson of a peasant adventurer, while the visit was made to a republic which could no longer feel shocked that a prince should visit one of its citizens in princely guise. When the duke entered the Medici palace in the Via Larga, he was astonished at the wealth and splendor of its collections, and felt that he could not hope to rival it. The more serious Florentines were indeed disgusted that the visit being paid in Lent, the feastings and junketings which accompanied it, did not always respect the limit of the precepts of the church. 
after the death of paul the second eighteen cardinals came together in conclave on august sixth fourteen seventy one and three days afterwards elected as pope the cardinal of san pietro in vincoli francesco della rovere he was born at albizzola near savona the son of a poor sailor he was general of the franciscan order and was very learned on questions of scholastic theology he was now fifty-seven years old and was of a hot-blooded and determined nature sixtus the fourth for this was the title he assumed was inexperienced in politics but he imitated his predecessors by contemplating a crusade against the turk but he was carried on by the irresistible tide of events and during his reign the papacy began to assume a worldly character which was only surpassed in the time of alexander the sixth under him we find a terrible development of that vice of nepotism which did so much to discredit the character of the popes and which yet was almost inseparable from the part of a worldly sovereign we must not consider this nepotism as merely the amiable weakness of an old man for his relations it has also its political side without some such assistance the court of rome could not have held its own among the powerful and ambitious courts which were growing up around it as the roman curia under calixtus the third had been spanish and under pius the second sienese so under sixtus the fourth it became ligurian a few months after his accession he elected to the cardinalate giuliano della rovere bishop of carpentras son of his brother raffaele twenty-eight years of age he was at a later period to become pope under the name of julius the second at the same time he gave the cardinal's hat to pietro riario son of his sister bianca girolamo the brother of pietro was destined to pursue a political career and to found a state as a man of arms on pietro his uncle lavished all the resources of his favour he made him patriarch of constantinople archbishop of seville florence and mende and gave him so many benefices that his income amounted to sixty thousand florins two other nephews brothers of giuliano remained laymen leonardo married a daughter of king farante and was made prefect of the town of rome and giovanni was united to a daughter of federico duke of molino girolamo riario received as his bride catherine sforza the illegitimate daughter of galeazzo maria and the lordship of imola was purchased for him by his indulgent uncle the life of cardinal riario was a short but a merry one no words can exaggerate the profuse and childish luxury of his court at rome this is shown by the reception he gave to leonara of aragon natural daughter of king ferrante who passed through rome in june fourteen seventy three on her way to marry hercules duke of ferrara the square of santi apostoli was converted into a banqueting hall the princess reclined like cleopatra on the costliest tapestries at the banquet the waiters were clothed in silk and the seneschal changed his dress four times the banquet was served with wild boars roasted whole in their skins goats hares fishes covered over with silver peacocks in their pride pheasants storks cranes stags a bear served up skin and all with a stick in his mouth 
a mountain which gave birth to a living man who came out looked at the people and went in again other dishes represented the history of atlas the story of perseus and andromeda and the labours of hercules barley sugar castles full of meat were stormed and their contents thrown to the people outside while sailing ships discharged their cargo of sugared almonds cardinal giuliano despised the folly of his cousin but there was some danger in it nevertheless when riario went to milan in 1473 where he found a fit companion in the duke galeazzo he entered into plans of far-reaching ambition a design was formed to make galeazzo duke of lombardy at the expense of the venetian territory and in return piero was to be made pope sixtus was either to be forced to abdicate or to be killed on his way back from milan cardinal riario stayed at venice where he was received with great honour but he died immediately on his return to rome january fifth fourteen seventy four it is said in consequence of his excesses there was some talk of poison having been administered to him either at venice or florence and this suspicion may have prejudiced the pope against the two cities during the two years of his cardinalate the young man had spent two hundred thousand gold florins and was considerably in debt his tapestries his silver plate and his furniture which was valued at not less than eight thousand ducats passed to his brother girolamo leonardo della rovere died in fourteen seventy six and his brother giovanni was made prefect of rome in his place this growing degradation of the papacy was not witnessed by the best and wisest of the cardinals Bessarion, who died at ravenna on november nineteenth fourteen seventy two he was as upright and robust a man as he was a diligent and learned scholar he left a great collection of manuscripts which he gave to the library at venice he was born a member of the greek church but became reconciled to the latin church at the council of florence the luxury and pride of the new italian princes whether men of milan florence or rome were not likely to pass without exciting energetic opposition the cardinal riario if he did not die of poison might perhaps have fallen a victim at no distant period to private or public vengeance the years fourteen seventy six and fourteen seventy eight witnessed two murders of princes both perpetrated in church both with a design of satisfying private animosity and of overturning intolerable tyranny the duke of milan was murdered in the church of san stefano in milan the conspiracy of the pazzi slew one of its victims in the cathedral of florence the cruelties of galeazzo maria sforza almost exceed belief a priest who had prophesied that he had only eleven years to reign was starved to death by the duke's orders a man who dared to write a letter to the duke's mistress had his two hands chopped off another offender was shut up in a chest and buried alive a peasant who had killed a hare was made to eat it skin and all and died in consequence the duke enjoyed nothing so much as being present at executions his lust exceeded all limits and he took as much pleasure in the disgrace of his victims as in the gratification of his passions in the time of duke francesco a certain scholar named cola montano had come to teach at milan he had a great enthusiasm for the history of ancient rome 
he painted the effeminacy of Galeazzo in the darkest colours, and hinted that in a purer and more heroic age he would have met the rewards of his deserts. He sent some of the most distinguished of his scholars, among them Girolamo da Olgiate, to Bartolomeo Corleone to learn the trade of arms. But they were immediately recalled. In 1474, Montano was imprisoned under the suspicion of having written some epigrams against the duke, and this made him more bitter than before. In the following year he returned to Milan and met Giovanni Andrea Lampugnano. After this he quitted the city never to return. He was absent at the time of the duke's murder and therefore could have taken no part in it, but it is certain that the ultimate inspiration of the deed came from him. Lampugnano and Algiate found an ally in Carlo Visconti. They met in the garden of the church of Sant'Ambrogio, devoted themselves under a solemn compact to the holy work, and called upon the saint to assist them in their enterprise. The Duke Galeazzo Maria had just been engaged in a military expedition in the territory of Vercelli, and had concluded a league with Louis XI of France, with the assistance of Philippe de Comines, the celebrated historian. He returned to Milan on December 20th, 1476, the eve of St. Thomas's Day, and had passed the season of Christmas in the usual festivities. On the day of St. Stephen, December 26th, he desired to hear Mass in the castle of Porta Giovia, where he resided, but his chaplains had already gone to the church of St. Stephen, and the Bishop of Como could not satisfy his wish. He went to the church on horseback, accompanied by the envoys of Ferrara and Mantua. He was clothed in silk and gold, and had unfortunately no breastplate. As he entered the church, Lampugnano went before him to clear the way. He then knelt down as if to ask a favor, and plunged a dagger into his stomach. Olgiate stabbed him in the neck, Visconte under the shoulders. He died immediately and was buried the same evening without ceremony in the cathedral. Lampugnano attempted to fly, but his feet becoming entangled in the dresses of the ladies who thronged the entrance of the church, fell and was killed by the duke's guards. The other two escaped, but were soon captured and executed. Olgiate, who was only twenty-two years of age, was torn to pieces with hot pincers. He gloried in his crime and boldly declared that the judge before whom he was shortly about to stand would pardon his other faults for this one act of virtue. It is reported that his last words were, Colligate hieronyme, stabit vetus memoria facti, mors acuta, fama perpetua. Courage, Girolamo, the memory of your deed will remain for ever. Death is bitter, but fame is eternal. When Sextus IV heard of the death of the duke, he said, Today the peace of Italy is dead. End of section 14